Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, tonight for our music. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We're turning to Matthew chapter 24 tonight, and I'm doing a message on Israel in the end times, uh, directed, of course, because of the events that we have seen happen over the last uh, week or uh, eight days in Israel, and it's caused everyone to talk about and think about uh, Israel's future and what's happening there, and if these things are related to Bible prophecy, how are they related? What perhaps do we see happening there? And so I want to uh, talk about that. Primarily, uh, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 24, uh, though I'll read you a lot of other passages, I'll keep coming back to Matthew 24 because it's a good chronology of what happens in the end times. So read with me just the first three verses of Matthew 24, or, or follow as I read. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say unto you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Let me stop and say, of course, we know that was fulfilled in 70 A.D., that doesn't mean the rest of the chapter is, but that particular statement. Verse 3 says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Well, tell us, when will these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming, your parousia, and of the end of the whole age? And Jesus began to say unto them, and he begins to discuss this chapter. So we'll come back to these events, and I'm going to point out to you kind of what the, the major things that happened in this chapter. But as I said, because of what happened in Israel uh, and the attacks upon Israel, uh, interestingly, isn't it, that it was a 50-year anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, and uh, maybe that's why it happened, I'm not sure, but uh, there have always been enemies, and obviously the attack that happened had been planned uh, for a while. One of our problems is that there are just too many voices out there, aren't there? I mean, there's so many people with different points of view, different theologies and so forth. Uh, some say that Israel is done and we shouldn't have any interest in Israel anyway. There is that point of view uh, that uh, there's no use uh, studying uh, the word of God as far as Israel goes. Uh, some believe that the church is Israel, so you and I are Israel, they might say. Replacement theology, that's called, where we have replaced Israel, so uh, all of those prophecies uh, you know, apply to the whole church, not just to Israel. I don't think that's right either. There are those who believe everything has been fulfilled already. Uh, the preterist point of view is that uh, the whole tribulation period was done in the first century, and 70 A.D., which I referred to in our reading, was the Battle of Armageddon. And so uh, we're uh, in a post-millennial type of thing trying to bring in the kingdom of God after that. Uh, there are those who believe that the United uh, Kingdom, the U.K., and America uh, form what they call British Israelism, that uh, Amer we are Israel, and uh, the promises that had been given to Israel are now given to the Western nations, primarily Britain, that the 10 lost tribes of, of Israel uh, are populated here. So uh, that uh, 
has never proved to be true. So, you know, having all of these voices is kind of like, you know, when you take a bowl or a hat and you put all the names in a hat, you know, and you shake it all up and you reach in and you take one. I, sometimes I feel like that's what I'm hearing when, when I hear people talk about prophecies, just reach in and take one and, and apply it wherever. So I, I think we just need a perspective is what I'm talking about. Now, let me say, for those of you who don't, maybe don't know me, uh, a few things about where I'm coming from and where Faith Baptist Church here in Smithville, Missouri is coming from. Uh, I'm a Bible believer. I think everyone would say that, but I mean by that, I believe in the Old Testament prophecies and in the New Testament prophecies. The New Testament didn't cancel out the old in these prophetic things. Whatever the Old Testament said would come to pass prophetically will come to pass. Some of it has in the first coming of Christ. A lot of it has not in the second coming of Christ. But uh, the New Testament doesn't reinterpret the old because I know some people believe that. I'm a dispensationalist which means basically in our subject tonight that I believe Israel has a future, that uh, they are still God's people and God is still going to deal with them and still make a kingdom of God out of them uh, in, in the last dispensation that we call the kingdom of God. I'm a premillennialist. I do believe that Jesus will return to the earth and he will reign on the earth for a thousand years. And uh, he comes back to, to the earth at the end of the tribulation period and restores Israel and then reigns with Israel for a thousand years. But I'm also a pre-tribulationalist, which means I believe that the rapture of the church will happen next, that the next thing that is prophesied in the Bible to happen is the rapture of the church. So that's the thing we're waiting for most. I believe that happens before the seven-year tribulation period, and then the events of the tribulation period start after the church is gone. So, so you know where uh, I'm coming from, where we're coming from when we do this. I, I think, I believe that we need a, a context. We need a, a chronological line uh, a view of what's going to happen so we keep these things in place. That way we don't overemphasize certain things and give them more credit than they deserve, nor do we underemphasize things that we ought to be paying attention to. So what we're going to do today, you see in your outline, whether in your bulletin or on the screen, uh, just uh, these uh, eight or seven things, the last one will be kind of some application, and uh, let me take us through these things uh, in the Scripture, again, bouncing back to Matthew 24, but because I'm going to read a number of, of uh, verses and things that uh, are from other places in the Scripture, uh, hang with me on these, okay? Let me just say some general things about Israel. Israel started with Abraham, and God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and made a covenant with him. And you'll remember in Genesis chapter 12, when he came out uh, of Ur of the Chaldees, came into the land, God said, now the, or the Bible says, now the Lord God said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. And he said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's quite a statement. 
There are three things there, a land, a seed, and a blessing. The land of Israel is promised to Abraham from here and other passages. The seed of Abraham, meaning also Jesus Christ, is promised through him. And the blessing is that the kingdom of God will come and Jesus will reign on the earth through the seed of Abraham. All of that is even in these verses. Genesis 13, 14 and 15 say, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes now. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And so Israel has a deed, a divine deed, if you will, to that land. Now, Israel, then, is what we call an elect people. They are an elect nation, as a matter of fact, in a way that no other nation of the world is. Every nation ought to follow God. America has, in their history, followed God uh, as well as anybody has. But Israel is the elect nation. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. They are an elect nation. Remember Romans 11.1 1, where uh, Paul says this, I say then, has God cast away his people? And then he says, certainly not, or in the old version, God forbid, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And in chapter 9 and verse 4, he said, Well, who, they are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises of whom are the fathers, of whom, according to the flesh, Christ came who is overall God-blessed forever. So they are an elect per, uh, people also. Now, we have been studying Matthew chapter 10 on, on Wednesday night, and we have seen this plainly from the book of Matthew and in the Gospels, that Jesus Christ did come. We call it his first coming. He offered himself to the Jewish people and the kingdom that he would set up, but the Jewish people rejected him. And the Jewish people did not believe who he was, and you know that in the end they crucified him or allowed the, the Romans to crucify him. But what we also learn is that it's not that those, the kingdom and all those promises have gone away, it's that they are postponed. And so they have been postponed now for a period of 2,000 years, and we are waiting for the second coming of Christ in which he will come, judge the earth, and set up his kingdom. So we're still looking for those things, and as premillennialists, and as I said, even pre-tribulationalists, uh, we especially are looking for those things and see the significance of those things. Christ will one day reign over this whole world. And it's true that even God's people and good men differ as to some details on that, some in, I think, uh, an unworthy way, but we we do differ in details, but we do believe this. Jesus Christ will reign on the earth someday. We're talking about how that happens. So Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch, capital B, a branch of righteousness, 
a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. King Jesus one day will reign. And Revelation chapter 20 that describes the millennial reign of Christ, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. Over uh, such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. All of those promises are still coming. So we'll come back and say a lot about Israel. I'm just saying, generally, we need to understand that. Israel is still God's people. They've not been done away with. The promises about his, uh, the king and the kingdom have not all been fulfilled. They must be fulfilled if God has said them, and they will be. I also want to say a little bit about the church, though uh, it's kind of a parenthesis in our study tonight. But the church exists in this interregnum time, they call it, in this parenthesis of, of the ages. In these 2,000 years between his first coming and his second coming, we have the church. And since Israel has kind of been set on a shelf and the kingdom has been postponed, he started the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And so on the day of Pentecost, it began. And the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit then baptized believers into the body of Christ. So you and I, as we sit here as believers tonight, are actually part of the church. We're not part of Israel. As a matter of fact, when a Jewish person gets saved in this age, he becomes part of the church more than he's a part of Israel. He's only an Israelite nationally, like I'm an American or you might be something else. But it's spiritually... We're all in the church, no matter whether we're Jew or Gentile or who we are. So the church exists now, and we are the bride of Christ. And that is why before all of these events of the end time happens, Jesus is going to take his bride out of this world. And we will be gone before uh, the tribulation begins. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not appointed to that day of wrath, and it's coming. It's coming upon the world. We're going to talk about it here tonight. Revelation 3.10 to the church at Philadelphia. Because you have kept my commandment to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so we will be removed before that, and praise the Lord, that's so. Now, important, the rapture is imminent, I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T, imminent in that sense, meaning it could happen at any time, and it has been imminent for 2,000 years. Every believer for the last 2,000 years has had the right and the responsibility to look for the rapture. So it could have happened at any time, and as I'm speaking tonight, we're sitting here tonight, we all say, even so, come Lord Jesus. It could happen now. And why is that? Because if it's imminent, there are no signs of the rapture. There is nothing that has to be going on in the world before the rapture can happen. If it's imminent, it's imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could have, and it can. And if, and if it doesn't happen for a while, it's still the very next thing that has to happen. In other words, if our pre 
pre-tribulational view of the rapture is correct, Jesus is going to take his bride back to the Father's house for the marriage before the wrath of God is poured out on this earth on unbelievers. When the rapture takes place, there will not be one believer left on the earth at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period, and God's wrath will be poured out. So remember that about the church. That's, that's significant because if somebody begins to talk like, well, there's the Antichrist, and he's doing this according to Revelation chapter 13 or something like that, it's not so because the church is still here. And the Holy Spirit is still here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Holy Spirit will be removed with the church before the tribulation period. Now, you notice thirdly, I have some thoughts about the Antichrist. I want you to, I want you to notice uh, Matthew 24 here for uh, something as, as we kind of begin this section. Matthew 24, 1 through 30 gives you the seven years of the tribulation period. If you go down to verse 30, you have a specific description of when Jesus comes back in glory to the earth to put an end to Armageddon and to set up his kingdom. Verse 30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, that's not the rapture. That's the return of Christ to the earth. Uh, if you want to read more detail, go to, to Revelation 19, and uh, there you, you find he comes out of heaven on a white horse with the, with the uh, armies of heaven and come back to the earth and so forth. Now, look at verse 15 of, of Matthew 24. The abomination of desolation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whosoever reads, let him understand. Then, and he goes on to describe. That, we know, happens at the very middle of the tribulation period. And I will describe it in a minute, but this is when the Antichrist desecrates the temple, sets himself up as God in the temple of God, and that is the time that the second half of the tribulation begins when he begins persecuting Israel for those last three and a half years. We know that's the middle of the tribulation period. So when we begin reading in verse 4 of Matthew, this has to be the beginning. So Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. We've, we've already had a number of those kind of people, and we, we always have had. So here's the beginning, the first three and a half years up to verse 15, the second three and a half years from 15 to verse 30, okay? So very clear kind of divisions uh, in this Olivet Discourse as Jesus is giving it. Now, chapter, uh, well, the rest of chapter uh, 24 then is first this parable of the fig tree, and then beginning in 36, the day as it was in the days of Noah, and he describes what went on before the flood, will be very similar to what goes on before the tribulation period begins. And then in chapter 25, still in the Olivet Discourse, you have the parable of the ten virgins, which simply describes there will be some people that are saved waiting for the Lord to come back, some who are not. Then the parable of the talents, beginning in 25.14, 
is the judgment upon Israel, and then the judgment of the sheep and the goats at the end of chapter 25 is the judgment upon the nations. So what you have here is the tribulation period, and then all of the things that happen immediately after that as Jesus comes to the earth and prepares to set up his kingdom. He's going to judge and divide. And just as I said, when the rapture takes place, there's not a not a saved person left on the earth, but when Jesus is done with these things, there's not a lost person left on the earth. So praise the Lord that that time is coming too. Let me tell you a few things about the Antichrist then. The Antichrist, you know this is a man who will come. First of all, the Antichrist is called the man of sin. So in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, and 9, I'm sorry, I should have just typed out all those verses for you, right? But you have a good memory, so I know you'll remember. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, and 9, Then the lawless one, he's called, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Then in Revelation 13, a whole chapter on the Antichrist and the false prophet, but in Revelation 13 and 4 and 5, it says, So they worshiped the dragon, that would be Satan, who gave authority to the beast, that's the Antichrist, and they worshiped the beast, that is, here's the world worshiping the Antichrist. Revelation 13 is in the middle of the tribulation period, so that's at that middle point. Saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. In other words, the last three and a half years, he will persecute the Jews and he will rule over the world. He will be a, a world ruler and no one will be able to make war with him. So he's a man of sin. Secondly, he's the king of the West. Kind of an interesting thing. In the end times, you have kings of the North, kings of the South, kings of the East, and a king of the West. And the Antichrist is a Westerner. He's not, he's not an a, a Islamic person. He's not a Russian. He's not an Egyptian. He's a Westerner. And we know this for a number of reasons, but the, mo the clearest is clear back in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, when Daniel sees that big colossus, you know, the head of gold is Babylon, and uh, then you have Persia, the shoulders, then you have Greece, and then you have the picture of Rome as the legs, the legs of iron. And uh, that is the four, so there's four nations that come from Daniel's time up to the time of Christ, and of course, Rome would be the fourth one. And then he describes the ten toes on the bottom mixed with iron and clay are an end-time Roman empire, where ten kingdoms will come to power in the place of the old Roman empire. Now, the book of Revelation describes these as ten nations and describes them clearly in Revelation 17 and 18. And so, in the end times, there will be a revived Roman Empire, a Western Empire covering the old Roman Empire, which is basically Europe, the Western nations, and including probably the United States since we are part of the West. And so our Western civilization that we study, our, 
our uh, Occidental rather than Oriental background uh, is uh, the West. And this Antichrist will come from the West. He's the king of the West. What we see attacking Israel today is the king of the North, are the Northern nations. And uh, we'll say more about them in a minute, but uh, th that's not where the Antichrist comes from. As a matter of fact, God will use the Antichrist to defeat them. And then he will turn around and he will persecute Israel. So, uh, interestingly, I just jotted down real quickly, we have already in the western part of the world, primarily in Europe where the old Roman Empire was, we have the Hague, right, in the Netherlands, and the International uh, Criminal Court. And we have these people in The Hague wanting to control the world and make all the rest of us answer to them. We have that group. We have Davos, of course, in Switzerland and the World Economic Forum. They want to control the whole world's economic and monetary system. And we even have the EU now in, in Brussels, Belgium, uh, with the European Union, which has about 27 nations right now, and all of these kinds of groups are trying to form some kind of coalition to control the Western world. And the Bible says that eventually it will be 10. And it will be reduced down to 10 nations. And the Antichrist will rule over those 10 nations as the Western ruler. So that time is coming uh, and coming soon, perhaps. As a matter of fact, I... I uh, uh, have here that, that uh, refer reference in, uh, in Revelation 17. No, I didn't. I didn't type it out. Revelation 17 and verse 12, though, you have the Antichrist coming to power with ten nations, and they uh, come up and support the Antichrist, and then he becomes the leader, and he begins then to persecute all the other nations that don't follow him. So the Antichrist is coming out of the West, and he's a Western kingdom. Now, the tribulation begins when this man who is the Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel. But that treaty doesn't happen until after the rapture, so we would never see it, but we know that it will happen. All the way back to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, where you have the prophecies of the 70 weeks you know, of Daniel's prophecy, it says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That would be the seven-year period. But in the middle of the week, remember we referred to verse 15 here in our text. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations, there's the abomination of desolation, he will make desolate even unto the consummation is poured out on the desolate. The abomination of desolation all the way back to Daniel 9, 27. And here's an interesting reference in Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, 18, God is scolding Israel who will in the future make a covenant not with God because God, he is God's covenant people, or, or uh, Israel is God's covenant people. But rather, they make a covenant with God's enemy, the Antichrist. Not with the Lord himself, but with the Antichrist. So Ezekiel, or I mean Isaiah 28, 18 puts it this way. Your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with hell. Some translations have it 
with Sheol, but of course that's hell. Your agreement with hell will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, you will be trampled down by it. So they have made an agreement. They will make an agreement with the Antichrist, and then he will turn on them, and they will be trampled down by the very one they made an agreement with. So you get the picture. A covenant made, which, by the way, basically begins the tribulation period. That, that is the time clock. The rapture happens, we're gone, and when this agreement is signed, the clock begins ticking again, just like you see in a ball game when they say time out and that clock stops and they hit that button and it starts ticking again. It's been a time out for 2,000 years. But as soon as this, this agreement is signed, it starts ticking again. And that begins the first half of the tribulation period. Now, I should say that the world may not know exactly who this man is. God knows. By that time, we'll know. But we'll have a view from heaven. We'll be sitting in the bleachers in heaven so that, you know, we have a bird's eye view of it. But uh, it will be a peace treaty. I remember as a younger man, you know, these things being preached. And every time Henry Kish. Kissinger left for the Israel, we all thought, well, he's going to sign the peace treaty and this is going to happen. You know, it could have been a number of things we thought about, but it hasn't been. But one day this will happen and uh, he will sign it. Now, he comes to power. Let's see. Fourthly, he comes to power in the middle of the tribulation period. How does this happen? It's called the Battle of Gog and Magog. And this battle is described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The battle of Gog and Magog is between, basically, the king of the west, who is the Antichrist, and the kings of the north that we see attacking Israel today. Now, Ezekiel 38 gives us the ancient names that most people agree refer to these common names today, which would be Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Germany, Turkey, Armenia, and probably Russia. Does that sound like a northern uh, uh, group of nations that attack Israel? Obviously, they would be. And they are even attacking Israel now. We know this isn't the Battle of Gog and Magog yet. But what, is, what happens is they come from the north into the land of Israel halfway through the tribulation period. They, they are tired of it. They have been wanting to wipe out Israel ever since. And, and today, the closest we could be to that is three and a half years from now. But they will come into Israel, and they will be ready to, uh, uh, to uh, attack Israel and wipe them off from the face of the earth, which they've always been wanting to do. But in the middle of that, while they're attacking, two things are going to happen. God says of the Antichrist, I will call for my sword, and that means the Antichrist himself, he will come and fight against those nations. But not only that, God is going to miraculously uh, rescue Israel. So in Ezekiel 38, 22 and 23, it says this, I will bring him, that is the king of the north, I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself, God says, and sanctify myself. And I will be known in the, in the eyes of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. 
So two things are going to happen to, these king, to the king of the north. The Antichrist is going to come, and he's basically going to be victorious because God's going to step in, and this miraculous show of heavenly power will stop that king of the north and cut him off, and they'll be gone. That'll be the end of <laughs> Iran, Russia, and anybody else who's associated with them. That's when that's going to happen. And it could be three and a half years from now, or at least it will be in the middle of the tribulation period. So at that time, what happens? The Antichrist, th this is a battle for king of the whole world. Because the two great powers at that time are the kings of the north and this king of the west who has come to power with these ten nation federation in Europe. And if God destroys the king of the north, who's left? The king of the west, the Antichrist. So what does he do? At this time, then, is when you, you read here in verse 15 of our text, he does this thing that Daniel called the abomination of desolation. And what that is, I'll read it to you in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, is when he turns on Israel. I mean, after all, who is he protecting Israel from but himself at this point? So he turns on Israel, and he goes into Jerusalem to the temple desecrates the temple, and sets himself up as God. 2 Thessalonians 2.4, The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's going to do that in the middle of the tribulation period. And when the Jews see that, they know they're in trouble. He breaks that covenant, he turns on Israel, and now he's the one that's going to wipe out Israel. So this Antichrist begins to do this, not in the first three and a half years. He's, he's protecting them. I don't know where the Antichrist is going to come from. He'll be a world ruler. He'll come from the West. Can he be an American? Could he be the American president? We have no way of knowing that. Could he be the head of the European Union? We don't know that. But he will be a Westerner. And when he, when he comes first, he will be protecting Israel. You can see the Western nations protecting Israel today, right? In, in, in this thing that is happening, that's the only place they have to turn for protection. And they're turning to us and Europe and uh, other nations in the West. And sure enough, they are, you know, we're the ally. And we should be protecting because I read in Genesis 12, I will bless them that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. So we know that. And uh, as long as we're on that side, we're in, we're in good standing. But that Antichrist will do that also originally. There will be a certain globalism, religious, economically, and then a mark of the beast, right? So when you read Revelation 13 at the very middle of the tribulation period, you read how the Antichrist called the beast comes to power, empowered by Satan, and then he has a prophet there called the false prophet who can do miracles and the rest. And then the two of them uh, do this. And I'll read it to you in Revelation 13, beginning in verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. That's where we get that 
that expression, of course, in the Bible. Now, we used to worry about how, how can he put a number on the forehead or on the hand, you know, and as a kid, we made uh, tattoos, and you know, just to pretend. But nowadays, we don't, have, we don't even think twice about this. There's so many different ways, of course, that a number can be assigned to a person uh, with a chip under the skin or whatever, scanned across. They can scan your eyes, and they know your, your eyes are like your fingerprints. They, there's n- numerous ways, facial recognition today. There's numerous ways for you to be identified and to be on record, and the Antichrist will do this worldwide so that no one can buy or sell, and you must worship this way. You must worship this beast or all of these things will be cut off and you'll be persecuted. So that day's coming, and, and we see it all around us. So when I say a little later, the table will be set, we can't say this is the day or this is exactly when it will happen. But, you know, you look around, uh, you know, you're waiting for dinner, and uh, mom's in the kitchen setting the table. Well, you know it's getting pretty close. <laughs> and, God, and so w- when we see the table kind of being set, we say to ourselves, this could be it. Uh, this could happen pretty soon. And so we see some of these things ready to go, we might say, all right? But Antichrist will come to his demise. He will come to his end because his career only lasts then for that last three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years. And so in Revelation 16, 16, they gathered together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. The only place in the book of Hebrews that it's called that is 1616, Revelation 1616. Armageddon is a valley. We know the valley of Megiddo in Israel. It's been a bloody valley all of its history. But this battle will take place there when the Antichrist himself and all of his armies will be there to fight against Jesus himself when he returns. Now, I thought up to that point he was a pretty smart guy, (laughs) you know. But if Jesus comes out of heaven and his feet stand on the Mount of Olives and all the we come with him and the angels of God are with him, I don't think I want to say, well, meet me at the valley, you know, of Megiddo. But he's going to do this. The Bible describes the blood flowing to the bridle bits of the horses for a, a length of 1,600 furlongs. That's almost the length of the land of Israel. It will be a bloody mess when this happens. So in Revelation 19, 19, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse, that is Christ himself, and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worketh signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These were cast alive into the lake, burning with fire and brimstone. The Lord takes this Antichrist and doesn't even take him to the white throne judgment. He bypasses all the rest of the judgments and sends him directly to the lake of fire, which they are still in, At the end of the millennium, Revelation 20 says, you don't burn up in the lake of fire. You don't go away. You suffer forever in the lake of fire. And the uh, beast and the false prophet, and then after the millennium, Satan himself and his angels will all be cast there. So, (laughs) a lot to be said there about the Antichrist. 
it gives you a picture of where Israel stands, what's going to happen to Israel. And again, some people say, well, is the United States mentioned anywhere? And it is not. There's a mention of, of Israel being protected by an eagle. And so some see into that mention the United States. But that's a stretch. Uh, if God wants to include the United States in that Western kingdom of the Antichrist, it probably will be because we are kind of Western, of course. But the United States itself is not mentioned, which may mean what? Maybe we'll be nothing by that time. Maybe we won't be a world power at all by that time. Or maybe we do recover and he, this Antichrist comes uh, from us. We only know at this time the United States is pretty powerful still. And whatever happens in the West has to happen with the United States. So if these things were very close, obviously the United States would have to be participating somehow. Let me go on just a little bit farther. Uh, again, this tribulation period I've already shown you is called a time of Jacob's trouble. It's the day of the Lord. The purpose for the tribulation period is to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel for their unbelief, but also judgment upon the world for their rejection of Messiah in the age of grace. So all those who have not been saved and are left over after the rapture happens, they will go into the tribulation period. And if I were you and don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior, I would not go into that period. You need to accept Christ as your Savior. Well, we've divided it up, right, in Matthew 24. Each half is three and a half years. The, the, the 70 weeks of Daniel, the weeks are periods of seven years. And the tribulation period is the 70th week. So if this microphone is in the middle of the seven years, there's three and a half years up to the middle point, three and a half years after it. Since they're on a lunar calendar, it's exactly 1,260 days here and 1,260 here. It's exactly 42 months here, 42 months there. So it divides up very nicely that way. We know that that is coming. Now, just generally, in Revelation chapter 3, we're told that God's going to have two witnesses that preach in the first half of the tribulation period. They do it for 42 months in, uh, in Revelation uh, 11, and they're killed at the halfway point and taken to heaven. So we know they preach in the first half of the tribulation period. Then we also know that part of their converts is called the remnant by the prophets, and we know that 144,000 Jews, 12,000 out of each tribe, will be saved in this time that the two witnesses are preaching. And when the two witnesses are gone... Those Jews continue to preach in the second half of the tribulation period, and they are the evangelists during that time. So Jews will be saved, and Gentiles, will, people will be saved in the tribulation period. I do believe this, that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, though, says pretty seriously that if you have rejected Jesus Christ in this age, don't expect to be one of the ones who accepts him in that time. You will believe the lie. You will believe the lie of the Antichrist because uh, you had your chance and you didn't take it. I think that that is true. So a remnant will be saved. So we go on through the tribulation period. Jesus comes back in glory. We come back with him. And then he begins to gather Israel back to the land. 
Now, it's true, a lot of Jews have gone back to the land. And by the way, 1948, does it have significance? Well, it has significance in this. Israel's on the map. They weren't on the map before 1948. They are a nation to be dealt with, obviously. And so they'll be a nation. They'll have a temple. They'll have a government. And the kings of the world have to deal with it. It's significant for that amount. But are the prophecies of the Jews going back to the land fulfilled by 1948? I don't think so. We're told that when Jesus comes back in glory, he gathers the Israelites. As a matter of fact, uh, they will first uh, be saved and then they will return to the land. You're in, in Matthew 24. I want you to, to look at verse 33 and 34 real quickly. When it's all said and done, this tribulation is over, Jesus says, so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very doors. Assuredly, I say, this generation will by no means pass away till all things be fulfilled. I just want you to notice that those who are, are called preterists, who believe that the tribulation period happened all in the first century, and that A.D. 70, when Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, was Armageddon, they point to these verses and they say that this generation has to be those that Jesus was talking to. This generation shall not pass. So they believe that then these things of, of Matthew 24 had to happen in that generation's time. But there's a big problem there, a number of big problems. And one is that even the question was, what should, how will these things be at the end of the age? But notice also in verse 33, when you see all these things, know that it is near. That means the things of the tribulation period. There is no way that what Revelation describes and all the prophets describe could have happened in the first century. You have to allegorize, spiritualize. They have to do a bunch of gymnastics with the Word of God to come to, to see it fulfilled. But this generation, then, is the generation of the tribulation period. That generation that lives when all of these things happen then will not pass away until Jesus comes and rescues them. That's the remnant. That's the 144,000. Those are many more Jews that are saved. And they will not pass away. They'll not go away until that happens. Jeremiah has a beautiful sample of that in Jeremiah 31 with the new covenant where God says, as long as you see the sun, moon, and stars in the sky, you are my people. And the sun, moon, and stars may seem to fall, but don't worry, you are still my people even though sun, moon, and stars fall, Jeremiah 31. So real quickly at the end, I know I'm taking some time tonight, but again, we want to see the chronology. The return of Jesus Christ is in verse 30 of chapter 24, where we've been reading. Zechariah 14 says, His feet come and stand on the Mount of Olives. That's where he left from, remember? He left from the Mount of Olives. He comes back to the Mount of Olives. So in Zechariah uh, 14, 4, in that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem in the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to the west, making a very large valley, half of the mountain to the north, half of the mountain to the south. It's going to happen when Jesus comes back to the earth. And why? Because a remnant of the Jews is walled up in Jerusalem and needs to escape, 
and Jesus Christ comes back and creates a valley, and they escape out to him through this valley that's created by the Mount of Olives going north and south. It's a beautiful kind of picture of when Jesus returns. Then there is bloody judgment, folks. I, I often think we, this world doesn't understand the wrath of God or the wrath of the Lamb. Who shall be able to stand, chapter 12 says, when the wrath of the Lamb takes place? You have to read all of these passages of the blood that splashes on him and on the horses and the carnage that happens when Jesus returns to take his vengeance on unbelievers. You don't want to be here when that happens. And so uh, the remnant comes, are saved. They come back. Jesus comes and rescues them. He casts the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And Revelation 20, six times says he reigns for a thousand years pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ. If you just take the book of Revelation chronologically as it happens, you get all of these things in perfect order. And the last thing I'll say is Israel's blessing is they will be regenerated. There's a number of verses. I have them here. We don't have time to read all of them. But when they, well, well let, me, let me read Zechariah 12, 10, if you're writing down verses. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Listen to this. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son. They will see Jesus Christ in his glory and they will look on him whom they pierced and they will say he's our savior and they will be saved. And so the return of Israel to the land and the regeneration of Israel comes at that time. Then all the Old Testament saints will be resurrected. They don't go with the rapture because they're not part of the church, but the Old Testament saints and all of those who died during the tribulation period are resurrected when Jesus comes back to the earth. And they live and reign for a thousand years in the kingdom of God forever. There they are with the land, the seed, and the blessing. Therefore, I have the last word. Just some final thoughts. There's a lot of anti-Semitism in the world right now, isn't there? there? There's more than we thought there was. There's more in our country than we thought there was. That anti-Semitism comes from a lot of different places. Right now, it's coming from Islam because they have always been anti-Israeli. But Islam is not the Antichrist. Islam uh, is part of the king of the north. Uh, they will come eventually into the land, and God will defeat them, but that will be at the center or the middle of the tribulation period. The struggle for the West to organize is going on right now. Somewhere a rider on a white horse comes along out of Europe or out of the U.S., and Israel says, good, he's here to protect us. And that rider on the white horse does protect Israel, but only for three and a half years. And then who he really is is made known, and he turns around and persecutes Israel. Now, God's timing is perfect. We don't know exactly when these things will happen. We surely see the table set, and that's, that's uh, true. But we don't know that this will be the very one. When the rapture happens... <laughs> And that covenant is signed, then we know it has. The switch that turns the clock on again, the button that has to be pushed, is that covenant with Israel. 
but the church has to be gone first. And when that button is pushed, that clock begins to tick, and all of these things that we've been talking about uh, begin to happen. So let's not get overexcited, but let's not get underexcited. I think when, obviously we're closer to the rapture than we've ever been, right? Uh, so uh, it could happen tonight, and it may not happen for years yet. We don't know that for sure, but we do know these things will happen. And when God says it's time, then it will be time. And folks, let me say, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We don't see all of the satanic power that he is putting into this program. This is his last shot at it. This is his last campaign. Either he can get it done in that tribulation period or he never will. Well, of course, we know he never will, but he's going to try as hard as he can. And so he's organizing things too, but so is God. And God will have his way, and all of these things will happen just as the Bible says, and we can have confidence uh, in that and be assured in those things. All right, let's stand. And let's pray. And as we think about these things, um, I hope that it just puts things in perspective so that you have the confidence in the Word of God. You have the confidence that whatever we see in this world right now is all under God's control and in God's time. And all of these things will happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God and thank you for what you show us in the Scripture about the end times. We pray for Israel. We pray, Father, that whether this is the final uh, time or whether it's just a, a valley that they have to pass through, uh, Father, protect them and watch over them. And as they have to respond, as any nation would, to aggression, then, Father, protect them and bless them and bless their people and bless uh, many who are uh, young and old and, and taken captive in this war right now. And so, Father, we just ask your help and blessing. We pray that the United States of America would do the right thing and be on the right side. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us because we bless them. So, Father, have your will in your way. Give us the confidence that we need. May we use this time to be good witnesses uh, for Jesus Christ of the gospel to the world. So, Father, thank you for these things. Now, bless as we think about them in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon's going to come and close us in a song tonight.